Mark 9, verses 25 through 29. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never return. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Welcome, Telsagory listeners. I'd like to welcome back my four listeners and a dog. I think after having Abby and Megan, we have four listeners and two dogs now. Actually, three dogs. So that that's good. Our audience is growing in the canine area. We're going to get in favor there. So I am Reverend Mike, the M16 Bishop. The We're broadcasting here out of M16 HQ. And we're returning again here in episode 101 with my book, A Field Guide to Spiritual Warfare, The Power to Pull the Impossible from the Heavenly Realm. And we're diving to chapter four. Exorcism and Deliverance. I'm actually going to focus mainly on exorcism in this because not a lot of real material has been out there on what exorcism is about, what it looks like. And I kind of want to just, so it's not going to be the chapter four, exorcism deliverance. It's going to be exorcism or more notably Mark 929 ministry. And we'll go through that, what that is. It's like to welcome you guys back or if you're new here, Welcome. And again, we're in a field guide to spiritual warfare, chapter four, exorcism deliverance, or exorcism minus deliverance. So a few notes before we begin this workshop today, before we dive into chapter four. Again, I wrote this book, what, back 2009? I may have had one or two exorcisms under my belt, but it was still a learning curve. And it was still ambiguous, and it's still ambiguous now, but I have a little bit more answers to an area that's still ambiguous, if that makes any sense. So I can fill in some more blanks on what this looks like and why it's not deliverance. A lot of times we have in churches today nowadays, like we have the, the people at the pulpit, the pastors with their, their master's divinities saying, oh, this person was possessed, they did an exorcism, or this person, you know, we did deliverance on. These words, they try to use interchangeably, they're not, and we'll cover why. So again, culminating from my career in ministry from 2005 to 2024 today, What's our date today? We are here sitting uh, Thursday. Oh, it's leap year. Thursday, February, March 29th. Wow, that's kind of crazy. So we're going to reflect in how the ministry has changed and evolved and how I've seen it change and evolve and what my initial thoughts were about it as I entered this and what it actually looks like for real. Um, we have our perceptions from movies. We have our perceptions mainly because the Roman Catholic Church tried to own this whole thing and what we think it looks like. So every time we think exorcism, we think Roman Catholic Church. And I begin to push more and more that way that when we hear exorcism, think Roman Catholic exorcism, because that's not the way we do things. So I'm going to start using more and more of the terms of Mark 929 ministry, and that's what the non-Roman Catholic Church form of exorcism will look like. So like I said, I've exhaustively covered deliverance throughout Tales of Glory episodes. And I was kind of like, yeah. I don't want to do it to you guys. I don't want to drag it out. I don't want to do it myself and go, oh, let's, 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 you know, how many times can we beat up on um, Luke? 10, 17 through 20. I did it quite exhaustively, especially in the, through demonology and the Christology. 
um, chapters, and we did it again in the prior chapter on authority in Christ, chapter three. So we're going to kind of put deliverance to rest here. And I think you guys will benefit more if I speak mainly on my experience of exorcism, who should be involved, who shouldn't be involved, and what the heck is it. So here we go. Workshop key points for the session. This is kind of like my syllabus. So I'm going to point out uh, bullet point one, who should do an exorcism. Identifying and vetting cases for exorcism. What happens during exorcisms. Spiritual direction and counseling. The funk demonic psyops. Those are interesting. God using trials to sharpen the minister. Remember, we are forged. We're not called. We'll talk about that. And I'm going to talk about training and mentoring. So that's kind of like our syllabus for today and where we're going. So this super vents, or what would the correct terminology would be, um, the chapter headings I had, because I'm going to go off the reservation day off the grid. But I want to present to you, since we're in a chapter of exorcism, what it looks like to M16 Ministries Day, what it looks like to myself, and what, you know, what to expect if you guys were ever drafted, not called, you'll be drafted into this. I always use that word because people I talk to are in this like, yeah, I wasn't called. I go, neither was I. We were drafted. We suddenly found ourselves <laughs> on the bus and we were up for basic training. Like, what, what the heck is going on here? So like I said, note, I will not follow chapter four headers. There's so much information I want to add here and present. A lot of this information will be new. You know, and I don't want to write another book. So <laughs> who knows? Maybe God will stick me some, somewhere in a island of pathos. Uh, actually, I don't know, Bora Bora would be good. That'd be good, Jesus. Or some, some place out in Maui. I could, I could be in exile or somewhere there. You know, and just help me write a book. I'll, I'll be fine. I'll, I could deal with that. That'd be good. So, cool. The wife will be happy. Um, like I said, I've grown a lot in this ministry and the aspects since I wrote the manuscript for Field Guide Spiritual Warfare back in 2009. So, a lot of things have changed in my theology and my approach to things have changed. They have to. As God shapes us, I'm going to talk about how he forges us through fire. We are forged. Things change and we take on new things. What do things look like? So I think I should address that. So again, we're about kicking the can about, was it 15 years down the road now since I wrote the manuscript? So yeah, you have to change. We're, we're, we're people. We're imaged in Jesus. And we become, as we become imaged more like him, he's taught us a lot more down the road. So this is what Mike looks like today. It, it, like I said, February 29th, leap year, 2024. So this header, here we go. Introduction to exorcism. How does exorcism differ from deliverance? And if you have the, the slides here in front of you, I'm on Spotify. If you play the Spotify video, you'll see the slides. If you're on YouTube or if you're on Rumble, you'll see slides. But if you're on Apple Podcasts, others, you won't see the slide, but I'm, I'm going to read stuff verbatim. So this slide, the question is, how does exorcism differ from deliverance? My response is, deliverance is not exorcism, and exorcism is not deliverance. Deliverance is not the spiritual warfare answer to all spiritual warfare. What does that mean? A lot of times in church, if there's anything wrong with a person, Oh, we got to deliver the demons out of this person. You know, the, the person may have Down syndrome. Oh, well, it's, you know, or, or a developmental issue for a child. Oh, it's got to be demonic. It's not. We have to stop that. Same thing is going to carry over into exorcism. That if something's wrong with somebody mentally or the mental wellness, don't immediately leap, leap to deliverance or exorcism. Um, check first. Is the troubled soul dealing with mental wellness? 
Is there stronghold behavior? Is there a hardened heart? Is there dissociation identity disorder? Are they not listening to God in a spiritual trial to correct their behavior for further spiritual growth? I've had a lot of Christians come to me because they think because they haven't had success in being delivered from their problems, that they think it's got to be an exorcism is the next one. Next stage up. This is not true. Like I outlined, many times the people are not dealing with their own stronghold behavior. They're not dealing with their dysfunctional family behaviors. A lot of things. Or this could be somebody skipped the dissociated identity disorder in analyzing or discerning the problem. And usually people with DID know they have DID, but they don't want to tell the minister because they know the church does not know how to deal with it. Shame on you, church. We don't. And every time we try to learn how to deal with it, we put together these training packages that make other people feel better or train DID people to help DID. We can't do that. The healing people cannot be brought in to try to heal other people because it makes them feel good. I'm digressing. Sorry, I'll stop it. <laughs> Sozo. I'm going to call out Sozo. That's one that does this too, right? So anyway, I digress. We're talking about exorcisms. We're not talking about that. But these are things you need to have in the back of your mind. When it gets to an exorcism, you must discern whether it's psychological, mental wellness, stronghold, dysfunctional family, dysfunctional behavior, hardened heart, heart wound. What is it? Before you go to the fact that whatever's happening is demonic. I am the biggest skeptic. And what's kind of funny is I have seen the craziest things I can never ever tell some people about because it was so off the wall dealing with spiritual warfare and exorcisms and stuff that people just go, you're crazy, Mike. I wouldn't believe that. So I don't tell them. So the fact that I've seen the weirdest stuff I can't tell people is I also have to lean on the fact that I'm the biggest skeptic to see if these people are crossing into the plane I am talking about that requires supernatural intervention of a spiritual realm. I hope the light bulb went on there because that was a lot of wording. Now, again, the difference between deliverance and exorcism. Deliverance is authoritative prayer posture. Do you remember that from episode 99 and previously of Tales of Glory? Remember we talked about authority in Christ in um, chapter 3 of A Field Guide to Spiritual Warfare? I have also beat this to death in other Tales of Glory about the difference between authoritative prayer posture and petitioning. So deliverance is authoritative prayer posture, Luke 10, 17 through 20. Where exorcism is petitioning prayer posture, Mark 9.29. These only come out with fasting and prayer. What does this mean? If Luke 10.18, God says, I'm giving you all power of the enemy and against the, 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 the scorpions and the whatever, the slithering things, he's given us power and authority over the unclean spirits. So if we have to petition Jesus for help, we have witchcraft and powers coming from heavenly places, i.e. the wicked powers. The forces of darkness that are called out, not the principalities, but the forces of darkness, that are called out in Ephesians 6.12. So if you need to review any of this, you know, go back to Tales of Glory, episode 99, chapter 3, Authority in Christ, and I covered a lot there. But like I said, we're building now. We're Now we're into exorcisms now, right? We're into petitioning prayer for Mark 9.29 ministry. But you're going, gosh, Mike, that... The disciples couldn't kick out the, the unclean spirit, and Jesus called that. How come they couldn't click, kick out the unclean spirit? It was a deaf and mute spirit. Because what was holding it in place there, it was part of witchcraft and dark forces from heavenly places that that thing was working for. And they couldn't kick it out. 
So they were dealing with a bigger fish in the water. Okay, that's going on. Had that not been in place, they wouldn't have had to worry about Jesus. They could just did like they were taught, you know, and um, what they understood was come out, you unclean spirit. The disciples could did it. But there was high level rituals or something holding those things in place. Something farther up the food chain. What sort of rituals done? Remember, there was this is Bashan, I believe, because it was came down from, from Transfiguration, right? Amazing stuff there. And this is still Jesus is still kind of thumbing his nose at the unclean spirits and what the watchers did. And he's still in that area. So it was probably something something higher up on the food chain still around, lingering. Or the father took the kid to a ritual or something. This came in him. Remember, there's all sorts of weird stuff going on here. It wasn't all Jewish. There was a lot of pagan stuff going on. And this is probably the outcome of one of those results. Again, this is from Tales of Glory, episode 99. Deliverance is for low-level demons, the unclean spirits, right? The deaf and mute spirits. We have power and authority over the whole genre of those spirits that came out of the Nephilims when they, during, when they came out of the flood, right? We have authority over them, spiritual authority through Jesus Christ. In contrast, exorcisms for dealing with the occult, rituals, conjuring, high-level possessions, and powers coming from dark heavenly places, as called out in Ephesians 6.12. Okay, here we go. We're going to make a distinguish here between what is Roman Catholic exorcism and what is Mark 9.29 exorcism. Only because we understand the word exorcism, I start pulling that term out because I want to leave it over to the Roman Catholic side of the fence. Because the two have the same desired end results, but the two are not the same. How so, Mike? Here we go. So let's, let's separate what the Roman Catholic exorcism is. It's ritual-based petitions. In fact, the post-1970s emphasis, I can't remember who it was, the Pope at the time, but he had all the rituals, the rite of exorcisms, rewritten to include Mary as a co-redeemer elevated to level Jesus. Hmm. Interesting. Which is why I won't touch rites of exorcism with a 10-foot pole right now. So Catholic demonology is more mythological and it's more construed now. I think it's it's been watered down by the invasion of the occult. So let's put that to the side. That's my view on what Roman Catholic exorcism is. Mark 929 exorcism. Again, let's start dropping the term. I'm gonna try to, but I'm gonna try to train you guys here. What is Mark 929 ministry? Empowerment of the Holy Spirit and petitioning prayer, and it is Christology and not demonology. If you go back to some of my um, 95, 96, somewhere around there, there was a. Uh, so I did some demonology and Christology, um, Tales of Glory, three episodes of that prior to starting this um, Field Guide Spiritual Warfare. Go back and look there too. That tells you what Christology is. In a nutshell, if you look like these um, paranormal people, they always get these, uh, I call them the Halloween costume exorcists. They're not even Roman Catholic, but they're dressed up like them. And this guy's a demonologist. And what they do is they go and look through these pagan books on what these demons are and what their names are. 
And a lot of the Catholics been sucked in this too. Like, what demons is this? What demons is that? That's a lot to know there and a lot you have to know. And even if you are right or wrong, you're coming up against a being that's a spiritual being that's been on this earth for thousands and thousands of years and they know how we behave and act. And we don't know what level the intelligence are of them because they're hybrids from fallen angels. So your best bet when tackling is, is to fall on the Christology side. That Jesus is preeminent. Jesus talks with us. The Holy Spirit talks with us. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that's the simple side of the fence to be on because that's all I have to know. But I have to trust Jesus. I have to be in a relationship where I know him. And we've known that that's a fact too from was it Luke 10... 18 or 10, 19, do not rejoice that the Spirit submit to you, but the fact that your name is written in heaven, right? You know Jesus. That's where we're coming at here. That's what Mark 9, 29 ministry is. I don't do rituals. I don't read these, recite these things and have liturgies. Sometimes you can. It, it ticks them off. But I'm going to fall into listening what the Holy Spirit has to do. Interesting stuff. A long time ago in my career, I was called out by um, somebody. Who was it? We went to this uh, somebody's house. They were called out to, because the wife was a psychic. We were called to bless their house. And I took a team of guys with me, some young men. They were in their teens. I just did training. And I got this call. And I go, hey, you know what, guys? I want you guys to come from this church. Great guys. I still contact with them now on Facebook. Uh, in fact, one of the guys wrote my guitar riff for dun 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 Tales of Glory one. He wrote it. That's when the guys went out this. We went out this house. I go, hey, we're going to do a house blessing. I got to do one. If you guys don't mind, I thought, you know, you get a house blessing. It's, I'd say it's, a, it's like 80 20. 80% nothing's here, there, and a 20% chance there's actually something happening in the house. So I didn't expect anything to come to this house. So this guy came to pick us up at the church, and we're riding out there, and the, the guy's looking at me, he's looking at the young guys in the back, and he goes, you do know that there was an exorcist out here two weeks ago, and they pulled the sheets up off the bed and threw them on him, and he ran out screaming. And I was like, so? And I look in the back, and the guys are going, yeah! <laughs> you know, it's like, let's roll! So we show up at the house, and it turned out this guy's wife was a psychic. And um, we did a house blessing, she went berserk. Um, she fully manifested, and we shut down the manifestation. and. I told him, I, I got to stop here because something's going on that you haven't told me about your wife and what's going on here. I'm going to come back later. And so that's like on a Wednesday night. or no, it was a Sunday night. And only Friday, I got home from work. It's like the following Friday. And my wife and I go out to get some pizza and, you know, just relax and chill. We get the call from this guy again. It's happening again. Oh, man. So my wife and I go out there and she's fully manifesting these demons. They were legion. <laughs> they were legion. And she's screaming over us while we're trying to do prayers of liberation. And my wife and I are sitting like face to face with her, like right across from her. And the Holy Spirit tells me, tell her she's about to hear the sounds of heaven because she's listening in to the demonic channel. She had a familiar spirit. She was psychic. So it's, it's all demonic. Everything's psychic is demonic. So I said, hold on a second. I'm, well, this thing's looking at me. I said, I'm going to touch your ear and hear the sounds of heaven. And she went from screaming to stopping. And like this peace came over her like, what is that? You know, it was a very prophetic thing. It's like, Jesus just changed the channel on her. This is what heaven sounds like. Because I had to get her to accept Jesus before I can kick these demons out. And I'm getting ahead of myself. I should have told this story later down the road. You know, 
but she she was like fast. I go, I go. Well, well do you want to accept Jesus? Because I can't go any further unless you want Jesus. And she said, No, I'll lose my psychic abilities. And I go, Well, yeah, you will, but you'll be able to hear Jesus like we can. Don't you want that instead? She goes, No. And so the husband chased us out. You know, like we're just very nice about it. we can't do any more. It's like use God. You got to kick it out. You got to kick it out. They want to kill me. They keep telling me to kill me. So I can't do anything with her until she accepts Jesus. And he kept calling us back time, time again. I tried to send him to church and she'd stare down the pastor at church and stuff, you know, it's demonized. So she never got help, but I'm going to explain why we did that. It's a very important step. But the fact that, like I said, she was able to hear God, just <laughs> the sounds of heaven. It was crazy. So that's why you have to be a Christologist, not a demonologist, right? We cut through the chase of a lot of stuff and it makes your work easier. Jesus goes, hey, you know what? I'm going to let her hear the sounds of heaven. And she heard it. She loved it. She was fascinated by it. And she rejected it. She rejected the Holy Spirit. So we were done. Case closed. And until she wanted to accept Jesus, I couldn't do a darn thing. This will happen a lot in exorcism. This is a reoccurring theme. And you have to be sure enough to walk away from helping somebody. It's painful, but you have to do it. It'll make it worse for them. You know, good intentions. Was it hell is paved? By good intentions, something like that. Oh, the road to hell is paved for, uh, by good intentions. That's got to be careful of here. That's exactly the same thing. So back to our story here. Where are we at, Mike? When we hear the word exorcist, we immediately think of Roman Catholic Church. The Catholics pretty much own the spiritual warfare field for centuries through the doctrine. This is true. Well, I thought the same thing on. I think I talked about that early on in one of my early field guide spiritual warfare telling my story that I went to go check out the Roman Catholic exorcist because I was Catholic when I was growing up. Like, that was the wrong route Jesus wanted me to take. So, although we know other forms of expelling high level spiritual beings and breaking off dark powers from heavenly places have existed throughout the body of Christ, the church in all different forms. Right? So, it's not just the Roman Catholics. This is. What we're using is actually Second Temple Hebrew. It's been around forever. The, I think during the times of Constantine and all these guys were pontificating the Bible stuff, we either pulled in pagan stuff or we pulled in more pagan stuff than the Middle Ages as we went after like the, um, go after witches and all our weird folklore and so on. Junk proliferated into the Catholic Church. Not beating up on them. It's just they need to do house cleaning. They need to. Um. It's very interesting, the arrogance there, too, because early on, I attempted to teach with the Catholic Church in several different places. God maneuvered me with different high-ranking people of the Catholic Church to teach, and everyone was, well, you're not Catholic. It's like, well, what? In fact, um, when I applied to go to the, uh, was it a conference? Southern California Conference on Exorcism way back when. Initially, they turned me down because I was missing one thing. And it said, well, you're not a Catholic um, minister. And I said, the form didn't ask of a Catholic minister. I asked of a minister. I had all my church stuff signed off by the people that recommended me. I go, oh, you're right. So they let me in, right? <laughs> it was interesting. But yeah, I've been, I met some high-level people there. And I said, well, you know, should, we should have exchange information what we know. They wouldn't even listen to me first to, to vet it. I'm, I spoke with some of the high-level exorcists. We're telling the same story. They're amazed about how we move with the Holy Spirit. They go, based on the stories, because I tell them stuff I know other people haven't seen, the only exorcists have seen, and how we did it. And they're like, you're kidding me. You can do that? It's like, well, yeah, it's in the Bible. <laughs> so I don't want to digress there, but like, 
either we need to reshape stuff as we move into the end times and more joined forces, but I don't think they're interested. I think there's a pride there in what they're doing, but I don't want to be, I have friends there. I have some guys are great exorcists, but the also ones that just don't belong there. And there's people that, that their prides get in the way of where are we as a church? I think a lot of Protestants are going to be freaked out when there's Catholics in heaven. And a lot of Catholics will be freaked out. There's Protestants in heaven. You know, it's going to, it's going to end up that way because some of the exorcists I worked with were deeply in love with Jesus. Although they had their doctrines and stuff, I don't know how that gets filtered, but they'll be in heaven. I'm positive of it. So an exorcist is a follower and one who deeply knows Jesus Christ. I don't want to change that. I don't want that to be a title. I know the Catholic Church has a title. A minister who is an exorcist. So I don't consider myself an exorcist. I consider myself a spiritual warfare minister or somebody that needs to be what I need to be when God needs me. Like I told you, late January, I was out with Cindy McGill and Abby, you know, and we were infiltrated a, a porn convention and we were doing prophetic ministry to these people and rocking the world. So, am I a prophetic minister? No, I don't consider myself prophetic. I, I use, I, I mash it together, like the word pathetic. I'm pathetic. I'm prophetic. That's what I am. <laughs> That's where my ministry would be. So, I am not an exorcist. I'm a, a minister that is called in to do exorcist ministry and call in to train in these fields to help the, the church. So, in other words, a minister who is an exorcist is a follower and one who deeply knows, there's that word again, knows Jesus Christ, who is supernaturally drafted to carry out high-level spiritual warfare, pray for someone who is severely spiritually afflicted by the occult and witchcraft. So, all discussions here regarding non-Roman Catholic exorcism, which are ritual-based. I'm going to make the point here again and again and again. Exorcism is not the next logical step in ministry for deliverance. Exorcism is off to itself. And people who, from our side of the fence, who end up doing this ministry were drafted or found themselves there. And we'll talk more about that. Like I said, I don't advertise. In fact, because I was doing satanic ritual abuse work um, with survivors, I was getting bombed by the occult on my, my website, so I pulled all forms of contact off. Um, so there was no way of contacting me, so which was kind of good, because now, as people know I do this in my area and around the world, I have pastors reach out to me. They know how to find me. So I don't advertise whatever lands in my lap. I'll vet it, and we'll talk about that. Does it belong to me or belong to somebody else? Or what's going on to help give the pastor information? So that's what exorcism looks like on our side of the fence. It is Mark 929 ministry is what I call it. Um, so all discussions here are regarding non-Roman Catholic exorcism. Again, the RC version of exorcism is ritual-based. We are not. We are empowerment of the Holy Spirit-based, and that's how we work. Areas that may require prayers of liberation. That's the process of the Mark 929 ministry. We're doing prayers of liberation. We're doing petitioning prayer for these people to be set free from what's going on with them. So, the top of the list, right? Demonically possessed. We call this a compromised will. When somebody's demonically possessed, they can't control the demonic manifestations. It comes in and out, and at times a person can't even control their own body or their functions. And we call this a completely compromised will, where they've allowed the demonic to completely take over. 
Preselibration, including a haunting with severe, violent, demonic activity. Is heavy objects being moved through the house or people being hurt, scratched, cut, thrown against the wall? Having their minds taken over to have them become obsessed or spirits talking to them to make them go insane and, and, and prepare them for possession? That sort of thing. That requires praise liberation. That steps up. It's after a house blessing. Do we got to come back to further, deeper warfare? Confronting and power encounters with those under attack by the occult directly. I shared with you before my experience when we had that young man come in, right? He was from a gang member and he was practicing Satanist and he got a power encounter and it freaked him out. You know, these demons gained power to beat the snot out of people that were bigger than him, older than him. But when he got in front of a minister who knew how to deal with these demons, the demon was scared. I think for the first time in his life, he felt fear. He felt it shudder, but he didn't want help. He did not want help at this time. I'll talk about this. We even did counseling with him just to get him. Couldn't turn the red around him. He, like these guys, when they get these dark powers, they don't want to leave it. So, prayers of liberation may be required on tainted, defiled objects under disposal. As a recent story, I'm going to pick on some of my friends that I, I spoke with today. So you guys know who you are. There's two ladies I work with. They're amazing. And they're in an area of high-level witchcraft. And I got a call today because they found an object in their, their business that they own and run um, that was left by a witch for their protection. <laughs> it's a white witch protection. So we had to tell them how to dispose of it. You guys know who you are. I'm not going to name any names. I don't want this to get out and get you guys in trouble. But they're awesome. There's, there's some awesome friends of ours and... You know, it's, <laughs> we can make calls to each other because we see the same weird stuff and make jokes about it. Because a lot of stuff the church doesn't see. You'll see as you get in this ministry, you'll be heavily ridiculed by the church body. You'll be the biggest weirdo, the biggest wacko. Like I said, this is a thankless ministry. But you'll build friends around you who operate in the supernatural, who've seen this stuff, who are not, aren't loco, aren't charismatics making this stuff up to make it look like you're getting the experience of the full God, <laughs> full God package. No, we've seen the weird stuff and we know how to encounter it and do it. So like, like I said, these ladies are awesome. They're friends of mine. And that, this was a fresh story today. So we got on the phone, we talked about how to dispose of an object. And basically we told them was, um, pray over it, go make a fire pit, dump the witchcraft contents in the fire pit, um, bind it, renounce the witchcraft from it, make it harmless, um, incinerate it, collect the ashes, and then take it down to a creek or a river and dump the ashes in there. And part of that is based on um, some stuff in Leviticus. I need to go look up for you guys. I mentioned it several times. Because I had a Roman Catholic priest, priest, yeah, tell me that one time. I go, well, is this just something Roman Catholic ritual? And I was reading through Leviticus and I found it and I go, darn, I think I should have highlighted it. Probably is one of my Bibles. I know it's highlighted in one of my Bibles, but I got to figure out which one it was. <laughs> which one I was researching at the time. Good times. So, areas that may require prayers of liberation. We beat that to death. Let's go. Spiritual warfare prayers of liberation have no methodology and require the minister to be in a knowing relationship with Jesus. One more time. Spiritual warfare prayers of liberation have no methodology and require the minister to be in a knowing relationship with Jesus which means you can hear him even during the darkest spiritual storm. I don't know if you recall Tales of Glory episode 100. It should have been. It was a prior one. If you guys are listening, 
It was one we had with um, Megan and Abby. Remember, Megan said um, she knows how to just curl into a ball of Jesus when the hur- when the tornadoes come. Right? That's that's a southern spiritual gesture. Like I was in California, the tornadoes. Oh yeah, tornadoes. So that was a spiritual thing. A, a spiritual warfare looks like a tornado tour. Right? They're nasty. They rip houses up. But she can just they're violent. Right? Those F five tornadoes. So she can endure a spiritual F seven tornado coming at her when she knows how to curl up and go with Jesus and be protected because she knows Jesus. Yeah, go look that one up. You don't know what we're talking about. We talked about that in detail, Abby, Megan, and I. It was a good one. It's back in the prior episode of this Tales of Glory, episode 100. Yeah, that was a big episode 100, our first guests. They're awesome, right? Now, go look at that. That's what we're talking about in the relationship with Jesus. And we can hear him. And during the deepest, darkest storm, can you hear out to Jesus when your F7 tornado is coming after you? Now, as I mentioned, exorcism is not the next level of progression of the deliverance minister. These are separate. Like we said, anybody can cast out demons, whether they're known by Jesus or not, that's deliverance. That's our spiritual authority. Here, we're petitioning Jesus and we're stepping into an MMA, Heavenly Realms fight arena that we have to know how to take a punch. We have to know how to throw punches. And Jesus is our coach. Oh, I did put notes down there. See, Tales of Glory, episode 100, Abby and Megan, Knowing Jesus, right? Good. That was some good stuff, man. I had them back on. Awesome. Other people on, too. Um, we talk about spiritual warfare stuff, just to light bulbs go on, and, and who I know. Because I have some contacts with some good people. It's amazing. Love them to death, man. Like I said, you, we'll talk about later down the road. How do you build your friends up? How do you build people around you? And after a while, it's just, you want to get mentored. I don't want to get in on myself here, but it's actually more about the people Jesus brings into your life who lift you higher to the next level, spiritually, so to speak, who help you become a better imager of who you are in Christ. And that's what you start looking for as you become a mature Christian. Other people around you. Who does Jesus send you? Ah, the syllabus. Here we are. Who should do an exorcism? Identifying vetting cases for exorcism. What happens during exorcisms? Spiritual direction and counseling. The funk slash demonic psyops. Those are always good. God using trials to sh- sharpen the minister. Actually, I changed that. God uses trials to forge the minister. And the last topic will be training and mentoring. That's where we're going today. So let's dive right in. Who should do Mark 929 ministry? Who should do Mark 929, a.k.a. exorcism ministry? Who should do this? Let's talk about that. Let's outline the minister, who they are. More important, why are you doing prayers of spiritual liberation? How did you get here? If you have a website proclaiming you're an exorcist, then you will probably fail. All it is, right? It's not a title. I need to go back and redo mine. My, my website's as old as my book. I don't even know what the heck's on there, but I, I had to have it for 51c3 purposes. I don't think anything reflects about what I am now. It reflects the history of where I was back in probably 2009. But anyway, yeah, this is not something to fluff yourself with. Like, I am an exorcist, blah, blah, blah. It's, mm-mm. That's why I, I kind of shun the name and the title. I'm just a follower of Jesus, man. That's all I want to be. Someone who Jesus knows. If a prophetic brother spoke over you that you'll be called into this, the, the field of exorcism, you will fail. Never trust a prophetic brother. Every time I hear that, it's like, oh my gosh, here we go. 
You know, there's probably some good ones out there, but the bad ones out there are giving you guys a bad name. So start challenging them. <laughs> Tell them, how do you know this? How do you hear this? Now, if Jesus dropped this really weird ministry case in your lap, then you were divinely drafted. Does that make sense? I wasn't looking for it. I was minding my own darn business. And boom, it fell in your lap. That's how I got into this. I didn't even have a website where I got into this stuff. I didn't have a website then. Uh, ministers coming. I know the stuff you're doing on Night Strike. Can you help me with this problem? Or what's this? What do you think about this? Can you train my people about spiritual warfare? Yeah, it's just... God was growing the ministry. I wasn't. And when I tried to grow the ministry, I gave myself a major headache. Major, major headache. I shake my head at some of these things like these um, Facebook ads. How to grow your ministry. Let us show you how. Let us be, a, you know, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, nope. Mm -mm, I'll let Jesus grow it. That's where I'm at. If you're in a dark spiritual warfare ministry, definitely let Jesus grow it. If you only have one person you're working with, Jesus is growing it. He's growing it, man. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about size. Don't worry about likes on your Facebook. Don't worry about how many thumbs up you're getting on YouTube channels and stuff. That's not what this is about. It's not. And you will find out as we talk about trials you go through by God to forge you. He'll get that out of you real fast. He'll, he'll, he'll do stuff to get that out of you. He can't use that person that's like that. He can't use the Apostle Karen. Sorry, in this area, he can't. Because the demons will take her down through her pride. The demons will take down other ministers. Pastor Bob, through his pride, right? For some reason right now, um, like I said, I'm still doing some medication with my coughs and stuff. How long has it been? Like two months now? It's getting better. I'm not coughing all the time now, but I have a hard time remembering what I'm Keep thinking Down syndrome or something other one too, but Pastor Bob went after. But yeah, it's just it's stuff like that, right? He's gonna bring the demons are gonna bring you down where you're publicly to where your pride is, and that's what you gotta be careful of. You don't want to see that. And we'll talk about some mentoring too, how I had some mentors fall. A lot of them, almost all of them did. Almost all of them. That's how dangerous this ministry is. I want you to start the light bulb going on. I'm not here to give you, hey, you could be a Mark 929 minister too. And he's 12 easy steps. This is to warn you, it's to guide you. And if you're already in this, it's to assist you. So if you're in deliverance, you know, I'm going to move over to exercise. No, 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 no. God may call you every now and then to do one like this or something high level. That's fine. This will help you. But never push that cart up that hill. It'll come back on you. It'll We'll discuss why. This is a brutal, thankless ministry. It is. But you can see a lot of cool stuff. <laughs> a spiritual warfare minister is someone who is trained by the Holy Spirit to engage in intensive, dark spiritual warfare. Your life story may be part of the Holy Spirit training. The Holy Spirit will give you well-rounded training and mystical experiences to acclimate you to the supernatural unseen realm. Make sense? He flipped my fear of the dark. And I had an intensive fear of demons. Intensive one of it. Now it's like, it's like a bulldog when I see him, you know? <laughs> get that, you know, <laughs> Satan. Jesus, get that dog on a leash. Biting my guys over here. So Jesus will raise a seasoned minister to enter occult environments, battles, and areas of activity. Again, I'm picking on Casey Souza. You are not sharpening your irons in the second heavens. Jesus is sharpening your irons. He's going to bring people into your circle of people 
that will help you sharpen your iron, lift you up. Whether it's to lift you up and encourage you, or whether it's to lift you up in training, or how does it look? Let Jesus do it. And he will. I've had, I don't know how people came to my life, I don't, that Jesus brought in during times I needed them. You know? A seasoned minister is more focused on the Great Commission and less on Mike Mark 929 cases. Hmm. Right? I'm more focused, like we said, we went to the, the convention in Las Vegas. It was the Great Commission. We had to go into the darkness and work with people who weren't ready to hear God and just lightly went in and helped them with some stuff. So the minister Jesus uses understands the dangers of focusing and pursuing occult battles. I am not complacent to what I'm walking into. I will not go into an occult battle unless Jesus drops it in my lap. I've had people like in place I go to Cambodia. Mike, you go do something about that? No, I will not. Jesus didn't tell me to. The minister who is seasoned tends to shun these battles and only enter when brought in the Holy Spirit. I don't want to be him. I don't want to do any of these battles. I don't want to do them. And we'll find out why. It's, um, you know, deliverance is fine. It's, 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 you're in and out and you, you cast that mountain and it's over with. These battles are long and drawn out. And we'll talk about what you go through mentally and spiritually. And when I feel one coming on the horizons, like, oh, no, Jesus. And you say, I'll get you ready. Don't worry. Don't worry. Like, oh, not one of these, huh? So it's like, hey, by golly, we're going to do an exorcism, kick stuff out, and we'll film it and we'll be on ghost adventures and no, no. Those guys are morons. You know, it's compared to what we are seeing, the left we're seeing. I can't even watch those shows anymore. What they do with exorcism. It's just horrible. They do the people. It's horrible. They do these stupid little exorcisms, the Halloween costume guys, and they don't leave them with any counseling or anything behind to help them walk them out of it. It's just horrible. So what do we got next here, Mike? What's in our next slide? A minister who is commonly regulated to the ministry of liberation of afflicted souls should be well-versed and experienced with mystical theology. St. Teresa of Avila. Why? Because as we get in the fifth and sixth mansions, and what's going on there, it also reflects on what darkness uses and how darkness talks. Right? Six mansions, we have locutions. Right? And we have demonic locutions. That's what's going on here. So this minister should also have second nature, mature instincts to the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and what it feels like in battle. When I was on the streets of San Francisco doing ministry and we do some deliverances, in fact, I had a seminary school with me from, was it Viola? What the heck was it? I don't who it was. It was years ago. But they were more, not a charismatic one. They were just a basic, you know, <laughs> chosen frozen. They were my people. And we had this one Satanist come up to us. And the first thing I did when the Satanist came up to us, because Jesus got me to a power encounter, I stepped back and I said to the girls, what do you feel right now? I feel really strong and powerful. How do you feel? I'm feeling my body like radiating. That's the Holy Spirit. He's with us right now. Let's go do something and, and work with this woman, see what's going on. And that was their walkaways. You know, they weren't ever expecting that. You know, when you show up a mic on <laughs> the hate street, the Satanists are, you're going to catch some weird vibes or go home a different person. It was kind of cool. So you have to know in a demonic environment where you feel the yuck and the darkness and the oppression, same time, you must also feel the Holy Spirit and be able to interact with Him. So down here, I have a slide, a part of the slide says, charismatic does not equal mystic. 
what is the difference between a charismatic and a mystic? There's a difference. Right? The charismatic has an interior prayer life. And they know that six mansions, locutions, where we can have visions or hear and talk from God. And that is in the prophetic scale, but we're not around calling ourselves prophetic. God doesn't want us to do that as a mystic. <clears throat> I'm not talking New Age mystic either. I'm talking Christian mystic versus Christian charismatic. There's huge differences. You know, the Christian chrism charismatic is always on YouTube. We're in a season again where I felt we're getting some sort of, um, you know, there's breakthroughs and we got new weapons being handed down and it's going to cost you everything. Did I, did I check all those, those things there? That's all the, the vocabulary they ever use and they never say anything. You know, and so say it the Lord from Ezekiel. But I, I'm a, uh, <laughs> I'll stop there. You get the picture, right? So there's a difference here where it's, it's very humility in the mystic. They don't want to talk about stuff, you know. We usually could be sequestered or stowed away somewhere. Like I said, if I ever got sent to prison or something, because I'm broadcasting all the stuff on YouTube about Jesus <laughs> down the road by our new communist regime that takes over, I could thrive in a prison, especially a solitary. It's like they just activated the weapon, right? Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, I digress. Um, Ah, Ezekiel 1.3. What's this got to do? The hand of God. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by Kibar the canal, and the hand of the Lord was upon him there. The hand of the Lord. What is that? There was a palpable feeling of the presence of God, um, or we call them the, the six mansions intellectual vision, where immediately that Ezekiel could feel the presence of God. I like how they call it the hand of the Lord. That's how the second temple Hebrews referred to it, the, the writers of um, Ezekiel. Hand of the Lord, that means it's a palpable, it's a, an intellectual vision where Ezekiel is feeling the power of the Lord. The presence of him. He's feeling it. Why is that important? So Ezekiel 1.3 conveys an experience where the priest Ezekiel felt the hand of the Lord upon him there. And what he felt, the presence of the Lord upon him. So this is important. Why I put, pick, pull this one out is a prayer minister is a Christian mystic who is sensitive to the movements of the Holy Spirit, even in super dark environments. Now, this guy was in exile, right? What do we know? Maybe somebody's watching him, some guards or something. But we are in a haunting, whether you're dealing with a house, or you're dealing with a possession, or you're dealing with the occult, or some item that's tainted, and, it's, and you feel the dark oppression around you, it's getting thicker and thicker. Can you feel the hand of the Lord upon you? Very important distinction. Very important. Ministers regularly dispatched by the Holy Spirit will have been critically refined through fire and by harsh spiritual trials. I'm going to talk more about this um, towards the end. But these are not fun. These are what you get your training from, and these are what you your ability to endure some very dark stuff. And they come in very different supernatural ways. And as you become a more seasoned minister during these trials, God will permit the demonic to oppress you. It's kind of like preparing for a fight. Does that make sense? 
Yep. Some of this stuff's not fun. Some of the stuff we don't think about because we don't talk about what it looks like in church. And here's where Mike gets mean. What makes you think you should be doing this ministry? This ministry gets, the ministers get devoured in this ministry. It's a thankless ministry. <laughs> I had a person call me one time. I think I shared it before in Tales of Glory where I was doing ritual abuse um, survivor counseling. And this person called me and she knew I was doing this stuff. She's going, hey, this guy back east, I think in Texas, um, charging $9,000 to um, to be trained as a ritual abuse survival um, counselor. And so I think about going to go see him paid to have it done. And like, and I was going, well, you know, I'm here. You can come just join in my sessions as an intern. You know, goes, oh, no, no, no. Um, he's, he's the guy to go see. And she's talking on and on. And I go, oh, this is just nuts. Like, you don't want my perspective on it. You, you really said you got to do it. I said, let me ask you this. What makes you think you belong in this ministry? And what makes you think you won't get devoured in it? And she hung up. Hung up the phone. Like, I'm being honest. And I'm going to talk about more here, but I've seen friends destroyed and I've seen friends walk away from their faith because of this. When you walk into darkness, you're walking into a battlefield. Right? It's a dark battlefield. Very dark. I told some of my friends around me that about over a year ago, God pulled me out of SRA counseling for about 18 months because I didn't realize I had PTSD from the amount of battles I was in. I had like a spiritual PTSD going on. I didn't want to deal with the stuff. didn't want to do it. Until once he got about, he brought me out of it to heal and I didn't realize I had it. Oh my God. Oh, Mike, what does that look like? Well, you get PTSD from battlefields. I saw the darkness. I was in it. But like um, other military people, I kept going back in because I felt it was my duty to stay in the battle until Jesus pulled me. He's in law healing with me from it and a lot of things. And when I came out on the other side of the fence training now, I'm talking about it. You guys, this is not a game. This is not like the charismatic woohoo. I'm going to so do this because Jesus is behind me all the way. If Jesus didn't put you in it and you did the woohoo and put yourself in it, you're doomed. You are doomed. So there's some warnings here that people already, like I said, this is for both sides of the fence. I'm going to try to vet some of you people, go, hey, you know, go do hospitality or go do flag ministry or something, you know. <laughs> Don't go here. Jesus sent me here because I can't sing, I can't do worship, and I can't do flag ministry. So I think a lot of us were sent here because we couldn't worship. <laughs> oh, I digress. Here we go. Ah, identifying vetting cases for Mark 929 ministry. How do we vet these cases, you know? I get tons of them. It's like, nope, nope, nope. And they're like, oh my gosh, there's one there, but I follow up. Let's look what this looks like. Like, these slides took me forever to produce because I always kept adding, adding, adding. These are not exhaustive in their answers, but there's stuff I want to make you aware of. I could continue to add more slides, and I just had to cut it off. I'll probably work on these slides for about a week. All this whole package right here. So, identifying vetting cases. So how do you determine if a case requires Mark 929 ministry? Is there an exorcism here? How do you know? Because everybody comes to you, my husband needs an exorcism. Um, you know, my kid needs an exorcism. Or like, you know, the pastor, I have a person who needs an exorcism. Like, oh, okay, all right. And they'll have viable information behind them, but they haven't seen what I've seen to vet this stuff out. And I kind of want to throw a few ideas out there for you. The more experience you get, the more you'll be able to weed stuff out real fast. 
typical calls. I think my son. Okay, these are typical calls, right? This is why I typically get on the phone. I think my son, husband, wife, family member is demonically possessed, right? That's why I just mentioned earlier. Help, I think they're possessed. So step one, make them prove to you they have a demonic case. And they'll get mad. It's like, you know, prove to me. I, I only make them prove to me because I want them to show me what they've seen that's demonic. Just because some brother church goes, I think this is demonic, you know, blah, blah, blah. It gets irritating all the time. Like, brother, brother in church, shut up. I want to know why they believe their case is demonic spiritual affliction. Why is it a possession? Vet any mental wellness issues. Is there dissociation? They didn't tell their pastor about dissociation. No, they did not. They'll tell Mike about it, though. Check it out. Is there any mental wellness issues? We got to start looking for other stuff first. If it's demonic, it will rear its head. And if it's demonic possession, it rears its head right away. And here's how you check to see if it is or not. Right? We'll talk about that. Let the person reaching out to you know that your time is valuable. You're not at their beck and call. A lot of people don't get that. Well, you're a deliverance minister. Can I come right out? No, I got, I got family. I got to do work. My wife's busy. I got, I got to do stuff too. I got other ministries involved in. I can't just drop what I'm doing and come see you. You know? Well, why not? That's also signs of other personal issues. If they can't understand or be you know, appreciative of your time, I won't return the call or see them. I had one person, it was such an emergency, they got hold of me through Tony, this after I decided to get out of counseling, that I had to set up an office through Anna. I think Anna still had the office. Tony and I don't have offices anymore. I said, Anna, I got somebody that will only come see me in an office. Um, is there a time period where you're out of the office, I can borrow your office or rent it from you for space for a little while? She goes, yeah. So we set up a time, I come back to set up a time. And then this person calls me back, goes, oh. Well, I'm not allowed the house. I'm under house arrest. I'm going, what? Yeah, that takes my parole officer stuff. Off to, uh, oh my God. So why did you have me get, get you an office to meet in office, talk face to face? You know, and then, so I set up a Zoom call and the person blew me off for a Zoom call. And uh, about a week later, oh, I forgot about that. I'm so sorry. You know, I was out running about. I go, didn't you tell me you're under house arrest or something like that? And you couldn't go out and bout. So why couldn't you have made it to the office? Now, we'll reschedule. No, we're not. We're done. We're done. We are done. So if they don't appreciate your time, flesh them. I don't care what the problem is. Go find somebody else. So 90% of the Mark 929 cases are not demonic behavior and counseling issues. I was able to vet from that. They had a lot of personal issues. It wasn't demonic. You know? <laughs> go find a counselor. I was going to work as a counselor with them too. I was going to get to the bottom of it. I'm you know, multifaceted. This is, that's a good thing about seeing somebody that knows about dissociation, knows about behavioral issues, um, does marital counseling, does... <laughs> Right? Does, does it, you know, cast out demons and high level spiritual things too and the occult? Like, I, I was one stop shopping and she blew it off, so I don't care. Discern. This is one thing the church cannot do. I don't know how many times I mentioned discerning stuff. People are like, oh, oh. how do you know you got a demon if you can't discern it? Tell me about what it feels like. So, here's something you can discern just by phone calls Is there severe demonic spiritual attachment? Were they involved in a haunting? Was there a Ouija board? Did they um, voice phenomena? You know, they record on the recorder or hear a ghost. Were they playing with that? Because you can get possessed through that. Yoga. I have cases of demonic possession through yoga. Anybody that's a Christian should not be involved in yoga. If you're in spiritual warfare or deliverance ministry, you should not be involved in yoga. 
You shouldn't be involved in yoga, period. It is not an exercise. It is spiritual. And people get possessed by it. I've seen it so many times. Um, did somebody open a third eye? Again, through yoga. Yoga or psychic? Are they into new age? Did they open something up? Are they into tarot cards? Are they using crystals? Is their will fully compromised? They can't do anything. And I don't mean by somebody that's on a spectrum. You know? A child or something or somebody that's like, yeah, oh, I'm on a spectrum. Well, why are they saying they're possessed? Sometimes they say weird things. Well, sometimes they do. It's not demonic. Here's a good one. Is this person experiencing a trial they are avoiding? Is this a trial from God? God will even send demons on them. If they're not waking up in the first couple of trials, they'll send demons on her. Like God's going, what's it going to take you to wake up? Are they demonically obsessed? There's a demon. There's a demon. Look at the window now. Every time I go to the store, they're following me. There's the, the witches following me. The demons are following me. And I go, out, go home at night. Nobody else sees the demons, but I do. Are they obsessed? Big problem. I've been to houses to bless them where people are demonically obsessed and it feel a darn thing. I felt oppression. I was in the house. Probably something took place. Or this, the house was suppressed, but there was no demonic activity. Is the person levitating, speaking weird languages, involved in the occult? Is there power fluctuations with light bulbs when they walk in the room? I'd like to hear that. Because I've had those cases. That's how I kind of, you know. And the problem I have, why I don't divulge a lot of this stuff for training, makes it hard. Because a lot of people here who are listening in who want help, and they think, they have demonic stuff going on and they don't. And they'll pick up on this and they'll call Mike like, hey, Mike, yeah, I have power fluctuations to walk in the room. And they're just freaking lying because they want me to um, address their, their spiritual weirdness or what I like to say is it's actually the behavioral problems, right? And that's, that's sign number one. If you have to call and tell me because you read off this thing that I mentioned power fluctuations and you have behavior problems, you don't have it even. Let that sink in. Here's something that I immediately reject or delete when I get it in my email box. Cases where I received an email worded, help me, I have demons, need a deliverance or exorcism, call me when you can. Would you respond to that? What the hell is that about? Would you respond to that? And no, I'm not calling you, I don't know you. Or sometimes they'll give me a long, lengthy, like, just get to the point, what is going on and why do you think it's a demon? And I want you to do the same thing when you vet people. Your time is important. You as ministers, you guys are the ones out there doing it. Your time is important. Don't let these people waste your time. You're not the call, beck and call of demons. Rule number one. So with these type of emails, I delete immediately. Statistically, like 99% of these are people seeking attention and avoiding their own behaviors and corrective trials from God. They are. You learn the hard way over time. I used to have an old Dodge SRT4 and Satan totaled it. <laughs> One of my, my ministry thing gigs, right? I was go, the, the day I was going to Burning Man to do ministry, Satan totaled it. But I had my little Dodge Esther T4, and my wife and I were driving everywhere to every call. It was wearing us out every weekend. We didn't have time to ourselves. And that's where you learn the hard way. You got to learn to vet stuff really fast because 90% of the people out there are to suck the life out of you, and they don't really have a problem going on. They do not. So be aware. Is Mike being cranky? No, Mike's trying to teach you guys. Don't jump at every one of them. If you delete their email, they go on to somebody else. They don't come back if I delete their email. I notice that. They'll go to somebody else and bug them. They're looking for attention. 
there are things in emails I'll read and I go, oh my gosh, there's something going on there because it comes from the heart and it wasn't some spilled out thing. It's something that caught my attention like, that is activity going on. I could tell. That's how I know. It's not, help me, I have demons. I need a deliverance. Call me when you can. How about never? Delete. Like I said before, I removed my email contact from my website because of my work with SRA. And I don't look to advertise for cases. I don't need any more cases. They come to me. Um, God's got me on his email. That's all that's important right now. I get a severe spiritual affliction case that comes from pastors and people who know me referrals. And a lot of people from Night Strike will call me out who I worked with, like, Mike, can you come help me? Because I know, I know because I worked with them on the streets, what they see and don't see. So usually by then, they're, they're really good people for vetting. All my Night Strike people I worked with were good for vetting demonic problems. They've been excellent at it. They have discernment because they've been on the streets. So I'll respond to them right away. They know it too. You know, it's like family, right? You got it. We'll be there. Set up a time at your church. Where are you? And all these people are like high up in their churches now, wherever they're at. It's been, it's been an amazing journey. So many times, also, referring pastors misdiagnose a spiritual affliction. I'm talking about pastors, not when I strike people. And it was severe trauma dissociation. They didn't discern what they saw. I had one that was really interesting. I had a pastor send me a person. He said, this girl's demonically possessed. Every time we read from the Bible, she hisses and she spits. And so, I go, okay, let's set up a time with her. I, I said, I have a counseling office. I do counseling. Because 99% of the time, it's counseling issues. Right? So, I bring them in, counsel them, do whatever, because I know what I'm looking for. And so, I started praying and immediately this girl starts hissing and spitting. I go, hey, stop, 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 stop. What are you doing? And she goes, oh, they're, they're coming out. I go, oh, well, we haven't really expelled anything yet. What, what's coming out? What's going on? This girl knew how to be delivered. And I say girl, she was about late 30s and she looked 14. And she started telling me, yeah, I was going to college. Go, Wait, you went to college too? She goes, yeah, I was in my master's degree. So she looked 14. Oh no, I'm I'm like 37. I'm going, oh my God, you're DID. You have dissociation. So I said, how many child parts do you have? She looks at me like, how'd you know? And it's like, well, it's it's open now. Tell me, tell me about your child parts, what's going on here. And she did. And it's like, you know, it's we're on a different route now where suddenly she wasn't spitting or hissing, and we're on trauma, severe trauma she went through. And somehow this, this demon part got in there and it's not demons. It's just, it was her parts portraying demons and she knew how to be delivered. And it just, it, it went on from there and it's, she, she convinced exorcists in my area, Roman Catholic exorcists. They didn't catch. She was, um, had dissociation because every time they, they did rituals on her, she'd spit and she'd hiss. And I stopped that. And another thing I did to her too was, um, while we were having us talking about her, uh, her child parts, she was calm. Under my voice while I was pausing and talking, I was so she couldn't hear me, I was binding demons and commanding them to go. And there was no spitting or hissing or nothing coming up. It was all her parts. And she fooled exorcists and she went away to the scale. I guess some exorcist sent her to a psychologist. And a psychologist called me and goes, Can you mind talking about this case? Goes, What's going on? And I said, Oh, she has dissociative identity disorder. I go, these other guys said she has demons. I go, no, 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 no. Well, how do you know? Well, these exorcists, I said, I'm an exorcist too. They go, what? 
I go, yeah, many times we have to vet whether it's psychological. I said, I put through some tests. I told the tests I did on her and I go, you do the same thing too. Watch it. Watch it for yourself. And he goes, oh my God, this has been informative. I go, yeah, she needs help. She has multiple identities and work on that. And it's just go forward with that. Like I said, it, it fooled some Roman Catholic exorcist and a close friend of mine. I wrote him a letter saying, hey, don't, don't do this with her anymore. She has multiple identities. I said, I don't know. Do you need me to come out and talk to you and share with you? Like I said, Roman Catholic's doors are always shut because I wasn't Roman Catholic. Like I could share with you what I know about um, ritual abuse and about DID, and they didn't want to hear it in this area. They didn't want to hear it. Um, so it's sad. It's, I think, even from the Catholic Church, we glean information on both sides of the fence on how to do stuff. And we're not doing that. It's mainly because the Catholics are aloof and what they're doing. And I'm going to, I can't take that one back. It is what it is. I offered to do training with them. It's not like I, what I know is better, but I think we can glean from each other about, I've been through a lot of stuff and I've worked with a lot of their people too. A lot of the people they've seen that we've seen, kind of like either they go see these, these two Roman Catholic exorcists, they've seen Mike, so we know of each other. I don't want to treat it like a competition. I like to treat it like we're, you know, I'm the Marines and you're the Delta Force, right? We're fighting the same battle. Let's exchange information we know about combat. And they don't seem interested. So I'll leave it at that. Keep digressing. These stories, man, they make me digress. Shame on you guys. Don't make digress. So despite charismatic popular media, SRA is not a candidate for exorcism. As I explained before, it's inner healing, like with that one girl we're talking about. I presume she was ritually abused. That's why she was doing the spitting and the hissing. But I didn't get that far with her. I went with her for months, working with her parts, and she kept going in circles with me. She didn't want to be healed. She didn't want to own her stuff. So I kind of pushed her out to sea. That's eventually how I got called by a psychologist. She ended up down there through a Roman Catholic exorcist. Because I kept telling her, you don't have demons. She got mad at me. So SRA is not a candidate for exorcism. It is an inner healing ministry. However, a different form of Mark 929 prayers applies to SRA ministry. It does. I've only had one person I brought in that was so bad I had to do exorcisms on. And she was straight out of prison. And I don't want to go too into that because it was violent. And there's a whole bad story surrounded around that. Not by me. Somebody from the occult slid it into our team. And I'll stop it there. I'll talk about where it's not in broadcast. And I'll talk about when I go to conferences or something with you guys. Or invite me out to talk somewhere. We'll talk about what happened. But we got infiltrated and we kicked him out right away. It was very destructive. And the SRA person went off with him. If the party reaching out manages to jump through all the hoops, I put hopes, <laughs> hoops and dreams. It actually, actually is. It jumps through all the hopes and hoops for proving their case. The next step is to bring them in for a counseling session. I don't have an office anymore post COVID because we just got hammered. It's like between Biden economics and COVID, and I have to say Newsom economics coming um, California. A lot of these little. You know, Christian counseling things got devastated. So I do a lot of stuff on Zoom now. I'll Zoom with the people, especially with children. I want to see what the child, child going on with the child. Make sure they're okay. Um, and it's not demonic possession or something like that. So I got to see it firsthand. Zoom is not the best way I prefer in person because if it's in person, sometimes I can get that. If it is demonic, get it to manifest right away in front of me. I can examine and test what it is, if it's a DID part or if it's a, if it's a demon or demons. So once we're in a counseling session, what happens during exorcism, Mark 929 ministry? 
what happens with this prayer ministry? Prayer is liberation. In my experience, a person who is truly compromised, that means demonically possessed, they lost their wills compromised, they can't kick this out on their own. If they're possessed, had a difficult time entering my counseling office, because my, you know, I used to work with um, Tony Tegan in the Potter's Hands, that was her ministry. She brought me in for ritual abuse counseling and uh, ministry and deliverance. And I worked with Anna also. And the three of us, like I said, we prayed that office up because we were doing ritual abuse stuff all the time. Finding little presents left behind by child parts that were still involved in witchcraft and didn't like Jesus. So we were always on the warfare front, cleaning stuff up. So that office was prayed up. I mean, it was pristine. You could take a nap in there. It's like, oh, I'm so relaxed in here. I'm taking a nap. Um, I won't comment on how the spiritually afflicted were inhibited from entering because I don't want someone with mental issues copying what I said in the podcast here. But sometimes it would inhibit their entry into the room because the amount of prayer. I'll leave it at that. And I don't want to leave what it looks like because, like I said, I do a lot of DID people who want to lean towards their demonically possessed or, you know, need deliverance. And that's not the case. So I don't want to get them fueled to the fire. So I have to speak over it. Here we go. Does the afflicted soul show signs of multiple deliverance sessions before meeting with you? Do they start coughing right away? Like, let's just open in prayer. Jesus, I like, <laughs> like I'm only opening in prayer. How can we have coughing already? Do they know how to be delivered by starting to cough up demons? Like I said, you see a lot of that now. That's why, back to the charismatics. I always see it in the charismatic environment. They know how to be delivered. They start coughing right away. I shut down their show. I strategically wait for an opportune time and then pray and bind demons under your breath, right? The authority of Jesus Christ, I bind you. I don't let me see my lips moving. I'll turn away. The authority of Jesus Christ, I bind you. Bind you to shut up. And I command you to go on the authority of Jesus. And if they don't start coughing or stuff like that when you're doing that, because demons, I've had demons in San Francisco hear me a block away. I bound them to shut up a block away. And I know if I'm whispering, they can hear me. So if you're praying quietly and they're in a calm state and they're not throwing up, you know, barfing their popcorn. Remember our popcorn friends? That's why I know their movie's BS. It's a bunch of charismatics that went to that show and they knew how to be delivered. So if they start throwing up again, 100% of the time, they don't. They don't. If you do it under your breath, they will not. And you caught the fact that what their problem is, they believe a lie that some deliverance minister left on them that they are demonically oppressed. So the demons don't have to do any work because that person is perpetuating the lie that they're oppressed. Is what it is. Sorry. I tell them the truth. I told a psychologist, yeah, that person wasn't possessed. Try this. You'll see. Like, wow, thank you. Because they put on a good show. Those of you who are regular listeners, I told you about I had the, the, the DID um, lady who threw on the whole show of the Garrison Demoniac and she wasn't possessed. It was her part messing with ministers because she was sick of dealing with them. If they have DID, it usually means they're super smart. Even though their minds are fractured, it means they're super smart. And some of those parts know how to mess with you. Tune into them. I just want to find out, does a soul, afflicted soul, show signs of multiple deliverance sessions before meeting with you? Or weird deliverance sessions? Some of my weirdest cases are the um, alien abduction. They have some people out there to do deliverance on aliens. 
alien spirits. I nearly died laughing. Like, no, this isn't true. Oh my gosh, one lady butted heads with me so much. It turned out to be DID, and it turned out to be an MK Ultra program that she was alien abducted. And she got mad at me. She goes, here, I'm going to play the, the, the deliverance thing to prove it to you. And there was this lady kicking out the cosmic aliens. Like, cosmic aliens go. Cosmic spirits go. Like, oh my God. You actually, and she paid for it. She goes, see, I paid for this. And she's helped me more. You're helping me. And I go, well, go see her then. You know, <laughs> don't waste my time. You know, I, I need a paycheck, but I don't need somebody wasting my time to collect a paycheck. So I'm not just going to, you know, beat your bidding. I do what Jesus tells me to do. If, if I'm wasting time for you, leave, go. She eventually did. It was hysterical. But yeah, alien abduction, it was after we started dealing with the, the DID parts and stuff, and she thought they were demons, we started having lab coat parts show up and stuff that brought her in and dressed up like the alien, as they put in her mind, they put the alien abduction in her mind to cover up the MK Ultra stuff. But anyway, so what do cases requiring Mike, Mark 929 ministry look like? We have compromised souls. Right? They're possessed. We have spiritual affliction. They live in a haunted house or they were ghost busting. Christians, a lot of Christians are ghost busting now. They don't get that in Leviticus we're told not to. You know, we can't do the, the EVPs. We can't do the Ouija boards. And we totally just dust over that. I don't know what is going on with them. Go look at Leviticus. It's there. Is there a cult activity? Like the young man who um, was doing occult stuff got possessed. Do they want help? Initially, 80% of the people I work with who are possessed don't want help. Are you supposed to intercede and call them back or pursue counseling? That's the options to put down with them. Will they come to counseling? Some possessed will come to counseling because somebody forces them to, a loved one or, you know, or a parent. A possessed child, they'll come to the counseling. Possessed child, I'm talking about teens where they made a decision on their own to become Satanists. That's what I'm talking about. Not a young child like, oh, they're being mean, they're hitting their sister, and they're acting up in school. Well, that's a behavior issue. That's not demonic. So will these people come to counseling? If they don't, it's okay. Let them go. Some people think that's cruel. It's not. There's a reason down the road. I'm going to explain to you why I let them go. It's free will. I can't control their free will. If they come back in their free will, we're going to win the battle. If it's not through their free will, nothing's going to happen. It's going to be a waste of time. So lastly, like I told our friend on the phone, how do you know you belong in this? Are you released into this battle? I tell people all the time, I meet the counseling, well, this is, sounds severe. Give me a week to pray about it. Let me know if I'm releasing the battle or not. Get back to you. See what Jesus says. Usually he does, they're willing, but I want the time to vet with him because he tells me what's going on. Is there a different story? What do you need to look for? I had one gal years ago. Um, she was taking meth and she was an alcoholic. And her mom says, Oh, you need to do an exorcism of my daughter because her, at night at 3 a.m., her dog talks to her. <laughs> what? oh this one i gotta see and then it turns out she was on meth and i said you know your daughter's on meth she goes oh yeah yeah we're trying to break her of it well do you think there's any correlation between the meth and a talking dog 
goes, no, no, I, I believe it's demonic. I go, well, let's deal with the meth problem first. So I tried to get the girl to go into Teen Challenge. She wouldn't do it. I say, hey, look, as long as you're in Teen Challenge, I'll even come visit you and work with you. If you go Teen Challenge, get rid of the meth problem first. And so she comes back to me like two weeks later during our counseling session. She goes, hey, you know what? I'm off meth. I go, well, how are you doing that? She goes, oh, I'm drinking two bottles of whiskey a day. I go, that's not... <laughs> your dog's still talking to you? She goes, yeah. I go, well... And so I kind of pushed her out, you know, pushed her back out to the, the sea. And she came one day and she was high and she camped out at Tony's office, you know, and didn't know I wasn't there that day and just being disrupt, destructive and, and disruptive. And it's just stuff like that where you have to vet people like, you know, if your dog's talking to you and you're on meth, I, it's not demons. You have an addiction problem. Go deal with it. That's what I'm saying. Vet this stuff properly and give it the attention it needs and tell them. Tell them. I tell them, you should go to Teen Challenge. That's how I'm going to help you. I said, if you go to Teen Challenge, I'll come and help you work on your demon problem. But I need you to deal with your meth problem first. And like, <laughs> so battles are long-term. Typically, we're talking months. Four to five months and require a minister that can stay steadfast in a fight, even to the point of mentally breaking. We'll talk about that. To contend for a miracle and liberation. Remember I told you, this isn't deliverance anymore. This is not deliverance. This is a full-on spiritual battle. And as deep and dark as it goes, I say it's thankless. Some of these people you never be in contact with ever again after they're healed. That's the way it works. They don't want to be remembered. You know, I went through this point in my life. I get it's part of healing, right? They don't come back. But just keep in mind, you're not going to have a big ministry. People come on stage testifying. Not like deliverance. They disappear. And it's okay. It's, it's, we got them through a part of their life where they're healed. And that's what Jesus wanted them for, right? Jesus needed them to heal. So never execute prayers of liberation for expelling a demon on a soul that is not ready. Never, ever. This is back to Matthew, right? We're talking about possession. We're talking compromised soul. Do not expel a demon on a soul that's not ready. Matthew 12, 43 through 45, return of an unclean spirit. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds a house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last day of the person is worse than the first. So also it will be with this evil generation. Verse 44, if it finds the house empty. Remember back to the story with the girl where I gave her a taste of heaven and she didn't want Jesus? Her house was empty. There was no Jesus, no Holy Spirit. And that's why we do counseling and that's why we do um, spiritual direction. I'll talk about that. Because as you work with this person through counseling to cast out the demon, you got to put something in the house. They have to put something in the house. They have to put Jesus in there. And when the time's ready and Jesus is there, Get rid of those demons and they can't come back. So Holy Spirit, lock the door on them. The Holy Spirit's there now. Never ever cast a demon out of a person that's not ready or doesn't believe in Jesus. I've had a deep decision several times. The young man, the young man was 14, 15, was a Satanist. 
I couldn't go there. This guy went to a Christian school. His family was raised in a Christian school. And he, it was a very good one, too. Well, you know, some of these stories are heartbreaking. So here we go. If the soul is not ready for liberation from its spiritual affliction, the individual may either choose to walk away or seek spiritual direction to prepare for the soul's freedom. It's okay for the individual to walk away. It's okay. A spiritually mature minister will allow this. You must trust the Holy Spirit on this decision that eventually they'll bring them back one day when they're ready. Maybe the Holy Spirit's going to work on them. Same thing deliverance. You know, same story. So 50-50, whether they walk away or stay for ministry counseling, it's 50-50. Whatever the Holy Spirit decides, that's what we're leaning into. We're working with the Holy Spirit. This is not our operation, what we're doing. Remember, this is a supernatural MMA fight. Expect the unexpected. You'll witness spiritual activity in your daily life in various forms as the darkness tries to force you to quit this battle. Weird stuff's going to happen. You may see spirits around somewhere. Your manager may start being a jerk to you at work. You can't control managers or people at work. You don't know what the faiths are they are, you know, if they're Hindu or if they're agnostic or they're just susceptible to being jerks, and they're the demons are gonna make it hard for you at work. They're gonna come against your relationships. It seems like every time I do a harsh exorcism, one of my relationships gets attacked. For friends, or you know, sometimes I'll stir up stuff with my wife and make her angry at me about something, and you know, we'll get that back under control. But it's like that oppression, it's just like, why is everything happening now? What's going on? Why is it happening now? You know, refrigerators start going out, cars start going out. They'll try to get you in car accidents. Like I said, there's stuff to ponder going into this ministry. It's high-level stuff. But there's also levels of protection. Like I said, I'm gone very deep with Jesus now. I'm very highly protected. And I trust Him and I rely on Him. Even though you live in a spiritually clean house with the presence of the Holy Spirit, that's this place. That's right here. That's Homestead, M16HQ. You will experience spiritual incursions with shadow manifestations, tampering and moving objects, and electrical phenomena I call drive-bys. Now, they've become lighter and lighter as I, like I said, I've been through different houses during this experience, as I count in this ministry. In this house, I haven't experienced anything dark, um, like showing up or going to do ministry and stuff. It's, it's, hasn't happened here. I don't know if it's just the place I'm with the Holy Spirit right now where it's just not allowed. I just call myself getting meaner in my old age so I don't tolerate a lot of spiritual stuff, especially after I've been through operations and been beat up put in the hospital. That kind of changes your attitude about what these things are and how mean you get when you deal with them. And also how much Jesus protects me now because of what, you know, what we've been through. You know, it's kind of like being higher up in the company now, right? It's just, I think there's a lot more protection now. And I like it at this level. And I like it protected so I don't open any doors or anything weird happens. Like I said, there's nothing, never seen anything weird in this, this current house I've worked. I've been here since 2019. Um, but I've done a lot of weird stuff since then. A lot of crazy stuff. And haven't seen it. So that, that's a blessing. But I want you guys to make sure you know as you're entering this stuff, you'll see stuff in your house show up in the middle of the night. Holy Spirit wake you up and there'll be shadows standing over there or something like, what, what are you doing in my house? Get the heck out. Get out in Jesus' name. You know, kick him out. But it'll happen. I call them drive-bys. They'll show up in your dreams. 
all sorts of places. I haven't had anything show up in my dreams yet. It's been kind of cool. So I kind of modulize how the battles occur. They occur in multiple phases. And these are all simultaneous. So you have the office counseling manifestations in the sessions where you see stuff happen and show up. You'll have um, psychological battles, expansion, demonic voices in both your heads. That's always fun. Those go on for months. And that's where the demons are trying to break you, get you out of the fight, and get you, try to get you to renounce your faith. These are fun conversations in the head. But I'll talk about why later on the road. But from a mystical point of view, you have certitude of who Jesus is. And they keep trying to chisel away. And it's like, oh my God, you know, this guy has some deep experiences with Jesus that we can't chisel away at because those experiences left Mike knowing that Jesus is real, if that makes sense. Like my intellectual vision back when I was like in fourth or fifth grade at that, the, the Basilica of the Immaculate Conception, right? That's one of the things that left me with Jesus is absolutely real. In other battles since then, I've been unshakable with it. This is crazy stuff. Those, we also have intercession for breaking through and healing. That's another thing. You may have people with you. Be very careful who you choose for your intercession team. Make sure they understand the heavenly realms and their, which, where petitioning prayer begins and where it ends and where authoritative prayer posture begins and ends. When we were doing ritual abuse counseling at, at the, in the potter's hands, we brought on some intercessors from a local church that was, air quote, the deliverance church in the valley. These guys were so doctrinal messed up, we were butting heads. And we eventually pushed them out of our intercession team. Um, they wrote horrible stuff about us. Like, you know, these guys don't know what they're doing, blah, 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 blah. Because, you know, we bent their halos. They weren't prepared for the level of stuff we were doing. And they thought they were it in deliverance. And that was actually a church that was in my area when God called me into spiritual warfare. There was, it was like deliverance church in the area. And God goes, I don't want you going there. It's like, what? Can I go learn about, I don't want you going to that church. I don't want you in there. And I actually, I found out why after we brought these people in for intercession. Like, oh my God, they've always been messed up. Because they thought they had they had the in doctrine on deliverance, and they were messed up. They were, and their people were messed up. Only certain people can pray. And the type of people, if you're on the prayer team, you're not allowed to smoke because that's a sin. And it was just that sort of weird stuff, right? It was just the pastor was scary too. He had issues. But yeah, be careful. We eventually kicked him out, and the intercession team just became Tony, Anna, and myself. We met like three times a week for like two hours. And we actually got momentum on our own through that intercession and hearing God that kind of like shaped the further direction of our ministry team. Now we did things, and it took off. So if that gives you any insight, three people, that was it, man. We just we prayed the, the, the socks off the, uh, the counseling office, and we prayed and listened to God what we should do counseling. And we threw out a lot of stuff after that about how we did counseling with the DIDs and ritual abuse survivors and just let the Holy Spirit take over the sessions. And it was phenomenal. And kind of the same goes true here for Mark 929 ministry. You know, have a small ministry team. During manifestations, here we go. During manifestations, always bind the demon. Always, always, always. Meant they pop up. And that will also help you discern whether or not it's a real demon or it's a, a dissociated part. The dissociated part won't bind. They won't shut up. They won't 
I go, well, that's interesting. How are you being resilient? So if you enter your office, you get a manifestation right away. Just bind the demon right away. Um, bind the demon. Shut up. Number one, remember, remember that story with Susan last, last time? In um, chapter three, I bind you, shut up. I don't want you talking in this session. All you got is lies. You're going to shut up. Bind him to the chair and bind him to be chained to the chair. I'm talking about this as a spiritual binding. You sit in the chair, you're bound, and you cannot move, and all your muscles and stuff are chained to the arms of the chair. You cannot move. You'll see him go like this, like, what the heck do you do to me? It's weird, right? So you spiritually bind him. The Roman Catholic Church physically straps people to chairs. I don't do that. I don't. They want to leave, they can leave. I'm like, go. I don't care. Tell me now. I'm, you know, don't waste my time. And usually it's the soul that wants it, so when we do the binding, they're kind of freaked out, like, after they come out of it, like, why do my arms feel like I just went into a horrible, you know, bicep workout or something? They go, well, you're, we spiritually bound you to the chair, and the demon tried to move from the chair, and it couldn't. So that's what we do. We spiritually bind the person to the chair, and that keeps them from coming over and clocking you or punching you. Um, the demon is forbidden from calling out to other spirits and reporting to other spirits. In the name of Jesus Christ, we bind you and forbid you from calling out to other spirits for help, and we bind you from reporting to other spirits. We bind you from harming the afflicted soul in any spiritual or physical way. You're bound. You're a prisoner of war. Jesus' name. So all this stuff is for ministers' safety and safety of the afflicted. Another reason to bind the arms is they don't reach out and clock you and hit you in the face. Shut down all demonstrations of witchcraft immediately. No levitation, teleportation, and natural human movement, like flipping over the back, crawling, crawling up the walls, or any inhuman behavior, or poltergeist activity in the room. Take control of it and use your petitioning prayer. You know, I bind the demon from levitating or teleporting in Jesus' name, blah, blah, blah. The authority of Jesus Christ, I shut down all witchcraft and darkness from the heavenly realms that these, these spirits will use. And Jesus, we ask you to shut it down for us and take control of it. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Shut it all down. And even though there's weird stuff going on in the room, remember, back to Ezekiel 1.3, feel the hand of the Lord in the room and ignore the witchcraft. Jesus' presence is more palpable in these battles than the demonic and the fallen. Listen to Jesus. They don't show you this in these exorcist movies where, you know, like they're battling and they're hissing and, you know, and they're holding this crucifix up to their face and the things are vomiting on them and all this stuff. That's Hollywood. You know, that's also how the, the Jesuits and stuff did those, those ministries back then. We don't do that. We don't do exorcisms and fear that we're going to be possessed by the demon. We have to jump out a window. That's Hollywood. Happens every flipping exorcist movie now, right? Everyone, see, they all get possessed and jump out the window. Like, come on, guys. Or there's lightning going on, there's horses whinnying in the background during the exorcism, right? It's just, it's not like that. It isn't. You take control over it. Jesus is in control. Chaos is, is demonic, and, and um, order is Jesus. Holy Spirit likes order. Shut down all demonstrations of witchcraft immediately. Shut down all coven accessing and nightmares and astral projecting in during any hour. So if they're under the influence of a cult or being attacked, sometimes the witch will astral project in during the session. You'll see it. They'll stop and look around. Like, like you know what? 
will threaten to cut the silver cord, right? You're done. Sometimes a coven will um, astral project into their, their dreams and nightmares and do stuff to them. Shut that down. Threaten to cut the silver cord and bounce from returning to their body. That's how you spiritually kill a witch at astral projects. And if they think you're bluffing, do it. You know, they're in violation of what they're doing. Go meet their maker. And it's done spiritually. And I'll talk, show you here. Shut down all demonstration of witchcraft. It's Ecclesiastes 12.6. You pray, before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or at the wheel broken cistern, and the dust returns as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. The authority of Jesus Christ, if this person does not leave now, we petition to cut the silver cord that they bounce and never return. Because this is warfare, it's an attack, it's not a game. This person is here with intent to harm and kill. That's why, you know, they'll, they'll get the heck out when they hear that one. They go, oh my God, this person knows what they're doing. They'll, they'll get the heck out of there. They'll go back to their body. And you won't ever see them again. You won't. That's it. I mean, people worked me, I'm in training, they saw that. I go, what was that? Well, the, but I'll see it really mean. It's almost like they're in a gunfight. Like, I'm pointing a gun at them, like, if I ever see you again, I'll kill you. Like that, right? If the, but it's with like, you ever see you again? I'm cutting the cord. In fact, I'm cutting the cord right now if you don't disappear in three seconds. And they'll know it. I wonder how that gets picked up by AI. Mike said something horrible on your... Um, but that's just it. You're, you're dealing with dark stuff now, and you're talking to him like a Navy SEAL. You know what? With that sort of authority. We're done with you. Get out of their face. No astral projecting in. No accessing through dreams. Okay, so many new apostolic reform ministers like to bring in prophetic ministers to take notes and see in the heavenlies. I never allow this in ritual abuse or exorcism because these ministries can be easily compromised. Also, I've had people go to some of these ministries get so messed up because their prophetic people weren't prophetic, didn't know what the heck was going on with ritual abuse, and they messed up the people. I told them not to go to it, but like I said, please don't go. They're going to mess you up. And they came back on, what's with these notes? Like, I'm not translating their notes. Well, they said this, this, and this, and I was concerned. I go, I read it. Like, and uh, the person was saying, Anna read it. Like, oh my God, this is just crap. You know? And then they paid to go there. And like, now we have to undo what those per people did. So if you're listening and you're ritual abuse, sexism, don't go to anybody that has these sort of things. They have the prophetic note takers listening to heaven and all that stuff because it's crap. Also, never call angels to go before you. Dark angels can re respond. This is new apostolic reform thing too. My angels are going before me. I tell them, no, you're not. Nope, 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 nope. We got all angels we need. Jesus got them. Jesus got an army. We don't, we don't need yours in here. So dark angels can and do respond during ritual abuse and exorcisms. And this is why I do my own training, because I could tell it like it is, right? Have you guys ever heard this stuff before? Oh, you shouldn't say that. I've had ministers get mad at me, podcasts get mad at me about stuff I said. It's like they haven't sat in these battles and sat with damaged people and see the damage other ministries have done. Or I had to go in and fix. And I'm not being pompous. It's just... When I go and meet these people, they're damaged and they're hurt, very hurt. And it's the counseling part where we bring them back up, build them back up towards positive and they have hope. Some of these ministries remove the hope from the people. 
And so I'm going to tell it like it is. I'm sorry. And if your halo gets bent and you want to come against me in your podcast, it's all right. I don't care. I'm not going to respond to you anyway. I don't care. I'm only out to help the people Jesus has me help with. So again, never go to an apostle minister for this level of warfare. If they have the capital A apostle, I'm, I'm giving you warning signs. Giving you warning signs. I don't have to name the ministries. There's several like this. When they have the capital A or it's apostolic reform. I don't care. Hey, what about this guy? He's famous. And if you ask me that, I'm not going to answer anyway because you just nailed it. Or the apostles he has under him. You nailed it. I nailed it. Yep. Yay, spiritual direction and counseling. Let's get some interesting stuff here. Spiritual direction and counseling for possessed. <laughs> spiritual affliction. Must be operating level spirituality to counsel and direct both the Holy Spirit and demonic experiences. What does that mean? While you're giving spiritual direction and counseling to a person that's having demonic experiences, you must also guide and direct them in the Holy Spirit experiences to build them up for the battle at hand. You'll walk alongside them to build up hope and trust in Jesus Christ during the afflicted soul's darkest of battles. You're training them to take their life back. When you see these exorcism shows like on TV, um, I don't want to call it a few, but there were some Roman Catholic ones that were on TV too that did, went out and did exorcisms on people and houses and all this stuff as a TV show. And you see us too on, on Ghost Adventures too. They never follow up with counseling for the people to help them out. And they can do like, they can do like a year to two years or longer of counseling on a weekly basis to help them for what they went through. And it's not there. That's kind of what I didn't provided. So work with compromised souls who are not ready for prayers of liberation. That's what we're doing, right? We're getting them prepped. Work with the family and family members. They're involved in it too. They're going through it too. Strategize prayer and healing sessions to overcome the powers of darkness. Right? We're praying. What are we going to do? What's our strategy to help the family? What's specific to the family? How does the Holy Spirit want to help them? Each one's unique. Um, walk the soul out of its dysfunctional, compromised state and go to Jesus and, and trust Him for battle. A lot of times in a position here, it's because it's a dysfunctional family. And it's compromised in many ways, and that's how the demon kind of got in or has been there for a while. Or it jumped in after the, the person got fractured, you know, who knows. But the hardest thing we have to do in all these battles, all these battles, is have them go to Jesus and trust Him for battle. That's the hard part. These people don't trust Jesus yet, and that's why they're stuck. And that's why it takes months, because we got to build up a level of trust. It is not uncommon for possession cases to include fractured souls. Dissociation. You'll need to understand dissociation and its healing, especially at the level of working with severe trauma and ritual abuse survivors. The possession can be using the trauma from the fractured soul to resist healing. Where do you get training? I don't recommend any ritual abuse training out there at the moment. I don't recommend it all. I didn't put any out because I don't want the occult to see what I'm doing. But almost all the ones I know out there have been compromised by their own people, by their own people from within who they allowed to go up the ranks and they weren't fully healed yet. So I've heard battle stories from all of them because I'm closely plugged into a lot of them. Don't go to these the only one I can recommend is you know I wouldn't even, I know of I hate to say is HeartSync even HeartSync doesn't train SRA. Um, what's it? Father, I can't remember his name. 
Oh, there's something now. He, I spoke with him too, and he doesn't discuss with SRA. He's not a good source. HeartSync is not SRA. It's a mild piece to it, but it's not, it won't help. And he even said that. I recommend Jim Wilder, Living from the Heart Jesus Gave You, if you're going to be a counselor for this. Anything Jim Wilder has, go back to Illinois, take his training on, um, you know, different various subjects he has and get schooled by him. I say, Living from the Heart Jesus Gave You is a tiny little read, but it's a thick book and takes me about a month and a half to read. Full of stuff on DID. Understand DID. Understand the psychological and spiritual attachments. You have to understand both sides of the fence. Go get trained. And if you call me, email me, what about this, this, this ritual abuse thing? I'm going to say, no, nope, you heard me. None. I even had a friend that had theirs compromised too recently. So I just, that's why I'm a lone soldier. I have people I'm training. Don't ask me to be trained. If I don't know you, I won't train you. It's gotten that bad, but I have people I am training. And we're quietly building up little SRA recovery cells. Discern where the soul is for spiritual direction. Are they even saved? If they're saved, does, do they have parts? Do the parts believe in Jesus? Some do, some don't. Work on that. Do they, whether it's them as a whole or a whole person, trust Jesus to heal them? Majority of your spiritual direction will be spent here spinning wheels in the mud to get these people to trust Jesus. They could be the lead intercessor of the church. You'll find out they're stuck and they can't trust Jesus to move forward. We're not taught how to trust Jesus as an individual walk that we have to learn on our own and spend time with him. And through trials, even during demonic oppressions or attachments, God will give them trials to get them to the level of trust. And they're not fun, but if maybe even harsher than the, what they're going through, but Jesus got to get them there to heal them. Ah, I love this one. The funk. Demonic psyops. We got the funk. Gotta have some funk. Oh, we got the funk. How's that? Who's that? Who's that band? I can't remember who it was now from the 70s. Oh, I don't know. We're not talking about bands anyway. So Mike always gets sidetracked on music. The funk. Demonic psyops. What is the funk, Mike? The funk is a demonically depressed, oppressed state of mind the minister, you, experience during the duration of the prayers of liberation, and it could be months, while you're involved in an exorcism of other people. You're going to get it. Oh, here it comes. The purpose of the funk is a demonic psyops to break the minister and force to drop them out of warfare. That's got to be pretty intense, though, right? What's that going to look like? It is intense at times. The Roman Catholic exorcists refer to this as the clash. It is tended to break you of your faith and make you walk away from your salvation. So both you and the person, the, the afflicted soul, will go through a clash where the demon is going to talk to you. Jesus, Jesus isn't real. He's not going to help you. What do you make think Jesus can help you? There's no hope here. That man who's working with you, the minister, he's not going to help you because he's going to renounce his faith. You know, that's what they're hearing the voices back and forth. Getting demonic voices. This is not a game. I have had seminary trained team members broken and walked away from their faith. They walked away from their salvation. Seminary trained people. 
because during the clash, the demons took him out. The voices in their head. You must have fifth mansion and up certitude of your salvation to step into this level of spiritual battle. When the demons try to hook me, they always get stuck in my areas of certitude. That's memories of my brain burned in. Where what I experienced with Jesus was factual and real. What I experienced in the fourth or fifth grade was real. That comes in. What I experienced on the streets with him was real. Personal experiences during my own time with him was real. And I have physical evidence of it. And I pro- you know, put some of it on some of my podcasts, some of my website and stuff I've drawn, like prophetic stuff that Jesus talked to me about. And it was dead on for people that I drew without knowing them is real. I have physical evidence and they have a hard time with that. They can't break it. And they'll give me the point where I probably want to quit. That they can do because this stuff gets harsh, but they can't get me to renounce my faith. And usually it's by, by the time they try to get me to renounce my faith, it's like this isn't working on them. I start building back more strength and saying, I don't want to quit. Or at the times I'm ready to quit, Jesus going, just hang in there two more weeks, God. This is going to, Jesus, Mike, this is going to break. Hang in there two more weeks. I can't, Jesus, I can't. This is, this is sucking. Because I know, hang on me. Hang on me. I know you're, you're, you're not going to break. You're going to make, make it through this, right? And sure enough, like two or three weeks later, after I'm about ready to break, boom, we get a miracle. God using trials to forge ministers. Remember, we're drafted and we're forged. We're not called by the brother. Mother in Christ. Ministers are not called to this ministry. Ministers are drafted as in a military draft and constantly forged through trials of fire. He has to refine us and get the impurities out of us. And it's not fun. I'm not saying, hey, I've been through so many forged fires, I'm better than you. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, oh, I hate when the trials come because. Whatever impurity I have to have out of me for this next battle, God's going to get it out of me. And this isn't fun because I'm a human being because I don't give up stuff. Right? God's going to go, hey, I'm going to show you why you need to give this up. Like, oh, man. You know, if he tells me to give it up, why can't, why can't my mind just give it up? Why can't, you know, we're humans, right? Pretty well, just go away. But sometimes it takes us forging through fire like, I'm done with that. <laughs> I don't want that anymore. Take it away from me. I don't want it anymore. You know, and it's just... That's how he does us. That's how he makes. That's how he he creates the imaging of us to make him more like him. We get forged through fire, and the impurities get burned out. Because Jesus has forged a minister through trials, he knows what level of intense warfare we are capable of enduring. The trials I go through now, I probably would have freaked out over my first God into this because God ramped me up. You know, it's kind of like weightlifting, right? I wasn't deadlifting six hundred pounds at first. I was deadlifting just the bar. And through regimental training and stuff like that, he got me to places where I need to be. So many times the battle in the funk is the trial. Raising the minister up in humility and purging what the enemy is focusing their attack on the soul. So the enemy will come in and go, this is where I'm going to take Mike out. This is where he sucks. And Jesus goes, oh, you don't know my boy. I'm going to hang in here with him and watch this. Watch what he's going to do. I'm like, oh. What do you mean? Am I part of this conversation? Jesus, what? What are you talking about? You know, do I have to have a say? I know you'll pass. You'll, don't worry about it. You'll pass. Oh, gosh. And then here it comes. Here comes the trial. That's what he does. That's part of a mystical life, right? It's, it's not an activation. It's you and Jesus working together on issues and battles and the, the theater battles and getting stuff done and what needs to be done in you to get farther in the battle. 
And a lot of times it's purging junk out of mic. It's always purging junk out of mic too. But and the other person's experiencing this as well. So it's both parties experience this. It's called the clash, right? Both will go through it. So mature ministers despise a trial, but also find peace and inner joy that Jesus is who in control of the battle. What? So even though I'm going through this dark oppression, this dark depression, I'm not a depressing person or depressed. I will experience the depression that the, the demon mojo gets full of me. But at the same time, I have the joy of knowing there's victory. So the inner processing core of Mike, that's the spirit saying, watch Jesus win this one. Watch what's going to happen. Watch what's going to happen. Yeah, in the meantime, my outer part of me is just taking it like the shields are getting hit. Blam, blam, boom, blam, 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 right? Taking direct hits. That's what, remember I talked about I'm into sci-fi, right? So I yeah, raise shields, right? So the shields are getting hammered. But the my spirit inside me with Jesus going, oh, this is going to be, watch this. This is cool. This is cool. Watch what's going to happen. So it's like that joy. There's going to be victory. And it's coming. And so it's kind of a weird dichotomy to feel at the same time, right? You feel the oppression and you feel the depression, but the joy of, it's going to end and Jesus is going to win, hands down. You know, so why do we go through this? I don't know, <laughs> right? You have arguments with yourself on this one. So, end over all results depended on my relationship with trust in Jesus. So, it depends on my relationship with Jesus, who he is. Do I trust him? And each one, like how deep these battles go, it takes my trust deeper. That's part of the certitude they can't break. Because I've been through a lot of battles, and it's hard to break the certitude because I trust Jesus. It's like even... I always use that word ambiguity. I don't know how this can be resolved. I don't know how Jesus is going to fight it, but I'm in the midst of it. But I do know 100% he's going to win. That's trust. I trust him. Jesus, I trust you to get me through this. So you haven't you know, messed up me before. We're going to make it. We're going to, we're going to survive this. We're getting through it. Training and mentoring. And I'm going through slides fast now because I'm going to get through a lot of stuff. Training and mentoring. We're slowly starting to do some pontification here, looking back at what happened, what I've been through in life. A lot of cool stuff. Get training and mentoring wherever you can, but be careful where you get it from. Like I said, if you're going back to fly back to Texas to see some, you know, big deliverance ministry and they're big on it and they're training everybody through these workbooks and stuff, you know, I, I've done the same thing too, but I try to do a perspective about how to build deeper prayer life. They'll tell you to bind this, bind that, use this. It's back to ritual-based, right? We're almost going back to the Roman Catholic Church, the rituals and that, those books. That's why I don't publish a lot of stuff like that. Second of all, um, you will not find an exorcist team to join. You won't. The danger of that is if you straggle out into a paranormal team or something, you're going to get messed up in spiritual attachments and you'll need an exorcist. So don't do that. You rarely will find an exorcist team to join something jesus has to bring you into and he will too or i'll start you off in your own ministry to do it if you've never delivered somebody from demons seek operating in a deliverance team or operating deliverance see that first um i said i harp on cleansing streams if you're very new at this go join a cleansing streams because that's probably a safe way to get on a line and learn how to deliver people from demons a very safe way it's initial to go do it um it may be your best choice for right now Sometimes I give training too, or I call churches give training. I'll do it in a different way. Um, get a field guide spiritual warfare the book. If you're not got the book yet, I have basic curse breaking in the back of the book. That's a simple way to break into this. Read this book. It'll get you set up for it. Um, and again, sometimes joining a deliverance ministry team cannot be the best choice. 
if I had went out to that one church I was talking about here, that was the doctrine deliverance, I would have been messed up. I've been totally messed up and probably bounced out of deliverance. I hate all the deliverance ministers. So determine if they're, they're doctrinal. I was part of a deliverance team too. Um, we'll talk about that when we get the mentor part. It was good for the time, but it was weird. And I couldn't figure out why it was weird, but I'll talk about this in the next section. I talk about, actually, I'm talking about mentoring now. I'll get to it here. We'll see. Um, let's see what we got here. Are we with this place yet? Oh, yeah. You will notice I didn't mention any of my mentors from the book, from chapter four of my book. I had to do the old Klingon turn the back on them, turn of shame. Um, all the ministers I worked with have fallen. Most all of them, that book. Most all of them have fallen. Tyler Johnson, don't worry about him. He didn't fall. No, he's dead grazing. He's good. He's good. But most of the ministers I pointed out, like the deliverance ministries and a couple of ones, they, they've fallen to adultery. A couple of my night strike uh, mentors, they fell to adultery. Um, this eerie statistic makes me vigilant about the spiritual dangers involved in this ministry. Take notice. The enemy isn't screwing around to get rid of us, to stop us from doing what we're doing, from moving in the Great Commission, from getting people healed, and getting to move forward. That's why I'm sending out this message right now. Oh, hey, you know, we're going to activate you as an exorcist. You got a lot to think about. You may not make it as a minister if you're getting into it for the wrong purposes or pushing yourself ahead first. The enemy may put you on his trophy bed. Like I said, because of statistic, it was because of mystery. I never use the terms spiritual mother or father anymore. I have spiritual mothers and fathers that have fallen. I have two mentors left who I know are really good and never going to be fallen or be talked down their, their ministry or thing. And that was Tony Tegan. She mentored me in counseling. I know she's solid. She's going to make it all the way through. And she's a mentor. And my friend Cindy McGill, who mentored me in um, ministering to the lost, the prophetic ministry to the lost and dream interpretation. She's solid. I never call anybody spiritual moms anymore. These are my mentors. And I'm almost afraid to mention people. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to curse them. But I know Tony's going to make it. I know her certitude and who she is as a spiritual woman, and as a mentor, and who she is in Christ. She knows Jesus, and Jesus knows her. And we kind of operate at the same level. Um, so I know she's not going to be one that Satan's going to put on her pedestal. She'll, she'll probably, she's taken out most of Satan's minions already anyway. And likewise with Cindy. So. That's why I didn't mention any mentors right now, and I'm going to keep it quiet, but I stumbled into the fact that they were adulterers, the, the, the people that were in Chapter 4, and I can't use them, and I can't, yeah. <laughs> but it is what it is. The story's there, and it's important to how we got where we got and the information we got, but just be careful and be vigilant that the enemy wants to destroy you if you're in deliverance or causing damage and taking out the enemy. He wants to destroy you. And that's the walk away you need right now. And that's my conclusion. So like I said, a lot of this stuff was all new and mapped over the entire chapter four because I was beaten up deliverance to death. And I thought, let's just spend the whole time on giving me information about what exorcisms look like, how dangerous they are, and what they could do to you if you step into them, and what can you do if you're drafted into it. 
because you're drafted. You don't volunteer. You're not spoken over. Nobody ever spoken over me in my entire time or prophetic message. You can be a you can be an exorcist. Never happened. Nobody ever knew because the covert ministry and the covert operations and tactics that were going on on the side by Jesus. Like I said, this is Navy SEAL stuff, stuff I don't talk about. That was also under the radar dealing with the occult. End of chapter four. So next time we'll continue chapter five, listening in on heaven's will. That chapter is about hearing from God. I'll probably pursue it. But I also need to squeeze back in Exodus 21. Let's get through Exodus too. We have to do a double feature one week and just blast out two of them. Um, just catch up. But like I said, this one took me a while. This one took me several days of thinking and pontificating to get this out. And it's non-exhaustive. There's so much more I probably forgot and wanted to add. So feel free to ask questions on fieldguidespiritualwarfare.blogspot.com. Better yet, ask me over on Facebook to a Field Guide to Spiritual Warfare group. Go there. And let's see. Cool. Any questions on this or need to answer or help? One of the two, right? Oh, notice. Um, Spiritual Authority Bootcamp graduates from last June. My eighth session class last summer. Okay, guys, attention for listening. We may be having a training reunion to brush up. I'm working out right now with Bill George and um, with Pastor Marty. We're trying to figure out a time. It's actually my calendar that's messed up. So we're trying to get it sooner than later, but I'm, we're going to have something. Looks like it's coming um, to get you guys launched and deliverance now. I'm still working on the details, but we may see us. It won't be close to mid-March. I tried to set up something for March 24th. There's a conflict and I'm taking off from well, Florida for, for a while and I'll come back. So maybe another window in April to do this or who knows, right? Um, April, May, some of that time frame. Anyhow, heads up. It's coming. So I know you guys are listening. You guys are quietly out there. We're going to do this. Um, I love getting back to Freedom Culture Church. I love those guys. Um, they're pretty cool. And it's still, still like, it's like family reunion to get out there. Like, you know, uh, I don't know if Catalina's still listening to you. If you're still out there, Catalina, like, good to see you guys too. We'll have to do lunch or something again out there or over there. Anyhow, um, yeah, look up for that. Heads up. We'll get it on the calendar. I'll let you know here too if I get, get dates down. Again, I strongly recommend you pick up my book, Cosmology and Demonology in Genesis 1. Through 11, like I left off one there, huh? <laughs> Available through my website on the show notes to this episode. I'll put it on the show notes. And I feel guide spiritual warfare.blogspot.com. Um, feel free to pick them up there. I see you can order my book also. I think I have an Etsy link too. Um, I know they're being sold off Amazon, but I never see any money off that. You know, I never really did. It's been a weird book. It's always been stuff behind it. But anyhow, yeah. So if you want to buy one a copy for me and get a signed copy, go to feel guide spiritual warfare.blogspot.com. Um, for episode 101 for exorcism, feel good spiritual warfare chapter four, this one, and find it there. Uh, there's the book there. Get yourself a hard copy, man. I got some card copies. This stuff's going to all start coming together, right? Has it been? What do you guys think? I think it's finally coming together. Well, we did the exorcism part. part. We're going to go farther down the line too by hearing God. We're going to do some curse breaking too. We'll talk about that as we get there. So we're putting a lot of stuff together with this book. Kind of glad we did. It's kind of more refined. Get the book, read it. It's all still very valuable. I'm just updating you guys with what I know now. Yeah, if you enjoy this content, share the links with a friend. Subscribe to us, whether you're on YouTube, whether you're on Spotify, we're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Rumble. And um, like I said, it, it takes time to put out this stuff if you and get equipment. Um, I'm trying to work with some friends right now if I ever go 
either go some, do some places, need blessings or something, you know, and record it and video it there and do some training sessions there. And I need, um, need mobile equipment to do stuff like that, you know, like phone rigs and stuff like that, shoot for my phone. So if you, we're getting there, we're not there yet. So if you like to bless the ministry or help us you know, provide time and money to prepare more material, um, PayPal, hit us up at m16ministries at gmail.com is the PayPal link and bless us. Some of you have, and I'm so grateful for it. And like I said, it's just, it helps us chug along and we don't have a lot of money in the bank, right? Sometimes I have just enough money so I don't have to pay the fine for the monthly thing of dipping below a thousand. I go meet with the bank now and see if I get a 501c3 account rather than the one they got for me. They kind of, most of kind of mess stuff up. Anyhow, talk to you guys later. This has been awesome. Now be a blessing. Make good choices. This is Mike from the M16 Bunker, the M16 Bishop, signing off. Amen.